Shalom, Jim. Shalom, Rabbi. I am just in time to wish you a happy 4th of July and all of our listeners celebrating American freedom. Yes. And of course, it's become known as a time to cook hot dogs and hamburgers. <laughs> okay. And my, and our dog, Freckles, gets very traumatized this time of the year because she... Because people have been firing, you know, firing off firecrackers right. the past few nights, but right. we'll we'll survive. It's a good thing we'll that Freckles doesn't live in Israel because we have <laughs> we have some more serious explosions going on, and we'll talk about that soon yeah, as well. Exactly. But uh, you know, I'm I'm very happy that we're on the same page with the same parsha. And last week, so Parshat Balak ended, and on the one hand, uh, thank God, Bilam was not successful because he saw that no matter how he sliced it, he was not able to get the words out, and Hashem stopped the words in his, in his mouth and didn't want him to curse the people of Israel. But there's this idea that there is a, there is a, um, uh, a connection between Parshat Balak and Parshat Pinchas, which begins all of a sudden in chapter 25 and verse 10, and it is a, um, a contiguous uh, flow because something happened that is between the lines that Chazal talk about, that our sages talk about. Something happened, and and it was a parting shock, a sh- parting shot. Because you know, Bilam was baby uh, basically shamefaced, and Balak was saying like, "Get out of here, you're a failure." And Bilam gave him some parting advice, and the advice was, you know what? If you want to get these people, the way to the way to trip them up is through what? Through their the uh, their family dividing the the sexual. Uh, dynamic right. through, of, through of, yeah. sexual sins, that's that's the way to trip them up, and that will be your ticket to destroy them because that is the thing that is the most uh, hated in in their God's eyes is sexual uh, immorality. And so we find at the end of of Balak, this um, this terrible scene is starting to take place, which had this crescendo with one particular man of Israel, one particular. Uh, uh, idolatrous woman, a Midianite woman, and this tremendous uh, uh, kind of like chaotic situation for some reason of nobody knowing what to do. And he was like publicly fornicating with this woman and uh, enter into this scene, this new this new character, Pinchas. Pinchas, yeah. I, one thing I wanted to mention, because uh, th- this is such a, a curious episode and it, it raises so many questions. Uh, and the one that, that bugs me is, uh, and I'm missing something here, Rabbi, so I need your help. So he says, so, th- uh, you know, he's hired by this Moabite king uh, to, and, and they go through all these machinations and they build seven altars and he goes through all these things and he says, well, you know, and then, he, and then Hashem, you know, he said, he blesses Israel. And then you you picture this guy sort of walking away, Bilam, and he goes, oh, well, if you really want to get the job done, and you're thinking like, well, why didn't you say that in the first place, Bilam? And I think it says if I think it says a lot about the the lack of character that that Bilam is is guilty of. I mean, it's like, well, I need you know he rather than just cut to the chase. He went through all this, and you have to think of maybe the ego involved, that he thought, well, I'm going to really, this is really going to make my reputation now once and for all 
when I curse Israel. And also there's the, uh, the, the, act, the idea of the money he would make just doing all this stuff for hire when it seems he could have just said that in the first place. Because okay, he knew I hear this. your question. It's, it's actually a very original question. I've never thought about it that way. I think it's a good question. It makes sense. But, and I think that your explanations also are very good answers. But before, before I would get to your explanations, the way that I would look at it is simply that uh, he was trying to attack Israel using Israel's own, um, own um, special quality. That was the whole irony because, because Israel is... is, uh, is um, its, it's power is in speech. Its power is in the words. Hakol kol Yaakov, right? And I mentioned this last week that Isaac said, you know, the voice is the voice of Jacob, the hands are the hands of Esau. So the, the, the voice of Israel is, represents prayer and Torah study and the whole concept of the, of the power of speech, you know, the holy power of speech. And so, and so Bilam was like trying to uproot everything from the source. He was trying to up to undo everything. That's, again, something that I mentioned in the video last week about, you know, why he, meant, he built those seven altars because they were like corresponding on the, on the negative side to the seven altars that were built by seven early tzaddikim, Adam and Abel and, and uh, the Avot. And he was basically trying to like grab the positive energy with which, which, which they filled the world with and like turn it around. So he was trying to undo everything. So he said... The best way to strike Israel would be through speech. Then you would then you would totally like unravel them because that's their whole that's their whole merit in this world. That's their whole power. Uh, and uh, so I guess it was a a last ditch effort. And but yeah, it's a powerful question that you have because the fact is, this is the one endeavor, the one area of endeavor of a human being that is ultimately. Um, the secret of who that person is, you know, there, there's a lot of misunderstanding, I think, in the, in the general public, in the world, about the Torah's conception of sexuality. Yeah. Because, there, because there's, other, there's other faiths, should we say, religions. <laughs> I don't like to get into these words because Torah is so not a religion, but because it's a way of life and because it's, it's the only religion that is not man-made because Hashem himself gave the Torah at Sinai. But there, people have a lot of... Uh, hang-ups and preconceived notions and ideas about sexuality that they feel are not, um, um, they, they can't go hand-in-hand hand with religion. You know, it's mm-hmm. like the, the, the idea is that a religious person is basically asexual because it's like if you're so godly, then you are completely, completely, um, you know, resigned from the material, you know, which is the whole concept of, uh, you know, like a, of a person being celibate and, and that kind of thing, which is so anti-Torah. Yeah. You know, the greatest commandment in the Torah is for a person to bring children into the world. And that is the greatest imitation of God, <laughs> is, is the most powerful, you know, um, um, attribute that a person has is to be, is able to bring another soul into the world with God's help because you can't even explain how that's done, and the idea is that this one particular uh, area of human life is like a double-edged sword, because on the one hand it is something that has the potential for tremendous holiness, actual holiness, because it's an imitation of godliness, and it is like. Um, a huge, a huge secret of 
of unity between man and God is really what the secret of the Song of Songs is all about. It's all it's all a a metaphor, you know, the love of a of a of a man and wife that's in purity is basically a reflection of Hashem's love. Yeah. You know? That's this whole idea of why there are certain secrets of the Torah that a, a man is not even permitted to begin to study until he's been married for some time, until he's experienced physical love, because then he has the vessels also intellectually to understand what it really means you know, to love with, one, with one's entire being. But at the same time, the same idea of this, this quality of sexuality is also, can also be a person's total undoing and total, the total unraveling of the human being and of his of the divine image in which a person is created and when is that when it's devoid of any sense of hashem's presence in the relationship when it is just um you know um base instinctual self-gratification then there's no there's no god in it you know the best way to understand this is a, is a very very beautiful idea right um that in hebrew you have the word ish and the word isha, man and woman, man and wife, right? Ish is spelled aleph yud shin, and isha is spelled aleph shin hey. So the ish, the man, has a yud in his name, in the name man, and the woman has a hey. And the, together, those two letters, ya, is an abbreviation of God's name. In other words, man and woman together, when you bring them together, they form the yud and the hey of God's name. But if each of them, if you take out the yud from the man and you take out the hay from the woman, each of them is what? Aleph shin is esh, which is fire. So this is the idea is that if you take the God out of the relationship, then it becomes like an all-consuming fire, which basically just destroys. Mm-hmm. Well, uh, and like so many, like, like it seems to me, the more I, I study Torah, that uh, everything always, and this comes up every week, and I think it's 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 quite revealing. This whole aspect takes us back to Gan Eden. It takes us back. It, it's it's a, a maybe a not so subtle hint that that was the trouble in the garden. It w- was a, of a sexual nature, and right. Chazal sages talk about that aspect. In, right. in it was of a sexual nature, and that. What one of the the problematic aspects of the relationship between Adam and Eve was suddenly this pure idea of the, the the purity of of sexuality as it was originally conceived by Hashem was tarnished in, exactly. in what in what went on between these three actors. For, and that's if, why before they ate from the tree. And again, people look at that, and this is just the deepest lesson in the world because people think that the that the apple, first of all, it wasn't an apple under any circumstances. <laughs> it wasn't an apple. It was the fruit, whatever. It was wheat, or it was, mm-hmm. or it was an etro, or it or was a fig, or it was, is, is a fig. Or it was a fig, or yeah. it was grapes. But whatever. Each and each opinion is so deep. Why Chazal um, offer that idea? But the idea is that before they ate from it, they didn't have, they didn't need any clothing. Why is that? Mm-hmm. Because they the were way, just as their naked. Perception. It, it wasn't. A, what I'm trying to say is, it wasn't a magic potion. People right. had the impression that that the fruit somehow mm-hmm. changed everything. You know, like love potion number nine. <laughs> Remember yeah. that song, Jim, yeah. from your disc jockey days? No, that wasn't it. It was the fact that they didn't listen to Hashem. Mm-hmm. That was, the, the fruit is just a, was just a vehicle of the opportunity to listen to what Hashem is saying to to accept His command. And when they didn't, because they wanted to explore, because that voice said, "No, you could be like God," 
meaning you could be the ruler of your own destiny, then entered into the picture this ego, this concept of ego, and that brought the guilt of, of as it were, of, 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 of sensuality because it was no longer pure. Yeah, it's a very, very d- deep idea. But yeah, everything always goes back to the Garden of Eden. But the, but the idea here is that Bilam and Balak understood that if if that blurs, if that whole concept is, if we can weaponize that whole concept against them, then they'll fall. Because every time you look at the the, the Torah's treatment of sexuality, again, as opposed to the, the ideas that people in the world have, that it's inherently wrong, which is absolutely not the Torah's idea at all. It's, it's a very, very wonderful thing for, uh, for soulmates, for a, a man and woman that are meant for each other to be together. Yeah. It's, it's the greatest thing in the world. The problem is whenever there is, whenever there is anything at all in Torah associated with problematic sexuality, it's because it's of the two people whom it's between. It's because of that is a forbidden relationship. It's not about the act being forbidden. It's about those two people being forbidden to each other. That's the, the whole issue, really. And so what happened at the end of, of Parshat Balak, which is just unspeakably horrific, is that, is that Moab weaponized their own daughters. Right. Yeah, the king they sends his prince. They weaponized their own daughters. Yeah, the king sends the princess down there. And says, you know, make sure that you 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 don't entice anybody, but some of the royalty of of Israel, for you know, for, uh, for lack of a better word. And the uh, it's a, it's a fascinating narrative and and full of drama. And I think one of the things that to me is uh, compelling about talking about this is the fact that it that one of the big questions that looms, the larger question that looms. Is God saying that uh, vigil, vigilanteism is acceptable? And, and the sages uh, go to great pains to show that this idea was so strong that even the angels wanted to, to uh, intercept and say, we've got to stop him. And the question is, is why did Hashem turn around and say, no, I'm going to give him a covenant of peace? And I th- my, my own take on this is that from from what I'm seeing from Torah, is that I, I one that I don't often see is the idea that it was completely acceptable in in several bullet points, if you will. Uh, first and foremost is the fact that you know, they would say, "Well, due process was not carried out." But what we have to, I think, remind the readers of this of this uh, parsha is that Israel was at war. With Midian, this was this was an act of war. They literally, as you just said, they weaponized the daughters of their nation. They were they were like stealth weapons sent into the camp of Israel or outside the camp of Israel, and that um, they basically said, "You're going to go in there and you're going to destroy. This is going to destroy the nation." And, and they they knew. And, it and by would. the way, it was the, the the goal was to bring the children of Israel to worship. Their idols, because Pe- yeah. the, 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 the sexual seduction, the sexual seduction, yes, Baal Peor, which is this horrific thing, yeah. and the sexual seduction was just was just a way of getting the, the Israelites to be ready to do anything, and then they would say, "Now worship this idol, and then you can." And so they they really they, they understood the whole secret. They understood the whole secret yeah. of the of the connection between illicit sexuality and idolatry. And the secret is that everything falls apart completely and leads to, uh, you know, to this um, 
deluge of of uh, of wantonness, where the, the whole universe becomes uh, t- completely uh, voided of all of all meaning. That because that's what idolatry really is. You, you really see as Israel is getting closer and closer to entering into the promised land, that everything is being thrown at them. And you know what's what the, what we have to remember is is that is that Hashem is is allowing much of this to happen because you know the idea of of how to use the the sexuality that God put in us is is almost like the ultimate test of free will how Absolutely. how will I use the gift because it is a gift uh, when you going actually, back to, I'll actually say that in so many words the sages yeah. say that the true the true measure of a, of a human being is his behavior in this area. Yeah. Nothing else, because this, because this is wh- how you really can tell who a person is, how mm-hmm. they behave in that, in that manner. Well, what I, what I wanted to, to, to wrap up uh, th- this idea of, of this, I believe an act of war is what it was. And so that was when, when you're in wartime, you uh, often a, a, a trial uh, a court system has is subject to wartime rules, and the other thing is, is that what do you what do you need to adjudicate uh, a death penalty? You have to have at least two witnesses. Rabbi, how many witnesses did they have to this the whole act? nation? The whole nation. This is, I mean, this is so stark that that they would do this. And and I'm I have a question for you. Is this where you know one of the most surprising things that that I learned, and it it really. It really clarified a lot of the judgments brought against many of the sins uh, when when the mitzvot are broken. Isn't the worst thing that that um, uh, well we even have a phrase for it um, um, the the idea of the desecration of God's name isn't isn't committing a sin in public the very worst thing you can do? Absolutely. Absolutely. Let me, let, me, let, me, let me walk you back a little sure, bit and, sure. and strengthen everything that you're saying in, the, in this perspective. Because again, it's such a strange narrative. You mentioned vigilantism. I want to I wanna discuss with you, is that really the right word? What, what, what happened here? Well, it's an accusation, is, you know, again, I'm saying. It's, a, it's an accusation against him, against Pinkham. Right. And, which is and, wrong. and the, fact, the, the, fact, the fact is that, that when we study the Parsha with the commentaries and see what's going on here, it was something that was leveled against him by much of Israel was like look, that he's a murderer. Mm-hmm. It, was, it was an act of murder. How could you do such a thing? This is not what we do. This is not the Jewish way. <laughs> and things that we hear like that is not something for a nice Jewish boy to do. And yet Hashem steps in and says, no, actually, he's like a super Kohen. Not only is it Kohen, but I'm giving him a special covenant of peace, and it's a, a, and it's a covenant of peace. Yeah. And this is before we get into the whole Agadah backslash mystical tradition that this person Pinchas became Elijah the prophet, who never right. died, who is Superman because he is the he is the harbinger 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 Safji, yeah. of the redemption. He's the one who Malachi says will turn the hearts of the sons of the back to the fathers and the fathers back to the sons. He announces the coming of Mashiach. He is present at every circumcision. He is basically the the protective angel of all of Israel is Elijah the prophet, and he went up to heaven in a flame. In the Book of Kings, well, and the, uh, this is who Pinchas was. The so, number, so the number of of Kohen Gadolim that came out of Pinchas, that that number. Is the gematria of the Aramaic word shalim? 
I, don't, I just read that in, in a commentary. I'm, if, if it's wrong, I, I maybe... No, it's the, amazing. Yeah. It's amazing. Well, yeah, you got that look on your face. I thought, oh. No, because I'm listening to your, your amazing things that I never heard before, yeah, James. Yeah, it's, it's actually the, the number of, of the Kohen Gadol that came out of, that wow. descended from him. Even, even I never saw that teaching, yeah. so my hat's off to you. But so, uh, we, we have these verses that we really don't understand, you know, towards the end of chapter 25, that, that this man, you know, he has a name. He's named in our parsha Zimri, the son of Salu. He took, takes this woman, and they are misbehaving in, in front of the whole nation, a tremendous act of chutzpah. I mean, it's worse than chutzpah. It is a total desecration of Hashem. And Moshe and... Uh, and Aaron are crying. Yeah, yeah. It says, it was in the sight of Moses and in the sight of the entire assembly of the children of Israel, and they were weeping at the entrance of the tent of meeting. What is that all about? Yeah. It's like they were, the leadership, it's talking about the leadership, it just says they, it doesn't name them. They were rendered somehow completely frozen, paralyzed. They, they didn't know how to respond. They were literally weeping in the face of this terrible desecration. And the sages teach us that they basically forgot what the law is in this kind of situation, that it was a very unique, particular idea that was taught to Hashem at Mount Sinai, by Hashem at Mount Sinai to Moshe, and Moshe gave it up. But nobody could remember what it was under these crazy circumstances that someone were to come and desecrate God in this horrible manner publicly. What do you do? There is no due process, because you mentioned due process. Mm -hmm. But in this particular case, there's a particular ruling that Hashem said, and it's called that a zealous person should rise up and strike them. Yeah. And Pinchas was that zealous person, and that's exactly what Hashem says, because he took vengeance for his God, and he atoned for the children of Israel, it is, uh, he, and in, in the first verse of our parsha, Hashem spoke to Moshe saying, Pinchas, the son of Elazar, the son of Aaron, the Kohen, turned back my wrath from upon the children of Israel when he zealously avenged my vengeance among them. So there's this idea of a, a kanai, a person who's zealous for Hashem's honor to, to take matters into his own hands, basically. And so, and, and the, and the older generation of leadership is depicted as basically standing in a kind of an impotence and crying because they didn't know what to do. They felt terrible. They didn't know what to do. So this is basically, again, one of the places where we're starting to feel very, very powerfully this transition of generations. Yeah. You know, that, that Moshe and his generation, that leadership, they basically, this wasn't for them. They couldn't relate. They couldn't relate. And again, we're on the eve now of the children of Israel going into the land. Like you said, everybody is coming around and throwing everything they possibly can throw at them because we know what it means for the, for the despots and the, and the wicked people of the world when Israel's going to go into her land, which is exactly why Balak hired Bilam in the first place. He said, we have to deal with this now before they go in. And so the, the, the older generation, you know, we, we talked about how in Parshat Chukat, that was like the that was like the um, intersection, you know, of the, between the older and the new generation. Now we see that Moshe was not able to relate to this because it took this Pinchas character to stand up and, and make this move. And it, it caused chaos. It caused bewilderment. And there were many people who said, you know, how could you, how could you act in this manner? Which is why Hashem had to say, no, this is, this is exactly what needed to be done. This, is, this can't be, 
you know, extrapolated and, and interpreted as, a, as a, some sort of blanket uh, green light for all vigilantism or anything like that. That's not the issue here. Right. The issue here is that we're talking about this, uh, we're talking about an effort that was being made to attack Israel with the very, very worst kind of weapon. And that is, and that is the, the, um, the, the danger of sexual immorality. Yeah. That's, that is what will uproot everything, just like we see in the world today. That's what's uprooting the family. That's what's uprooting the world altogether that is completely on its side, where nothing makes any sense anymore at all, and you can't say anything at all, all in the, in the name of, of this kind of new thing that's called gender fluidity and all yeah. the other things that, that people are... That people are are also mechanizing basically for for all the agendas that that they have. Yeah. Well, it, 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 here, especially in America, and and I really, I really think that the rest of the world is laughing at us right now. I really do, and I don't care if they are. But what I do care about is what's making them laugh, and that is that that there are a lot of things that have been happening these past few decades that make you that give you pause. But this th- this whole thing. With with uh, I'm just going to say it, the whole Pride Month thing, and 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 people in positions of power saying, well, let's make the whole summer a Pride summer. I mean, the mind reels, and and we have respectable, once respectable businesses that are endorsing these things, and I I this is something I never thought. You know, in the '60s, Rabbi, we all remember we had the sexual revolution, and the thing is, it never got it never got this depraved, where children are being used in, 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 in promoting, they're teaching children uh, the worst kind of wrong ideas about sex and invading classrooms and, and libraries with these ideas. And, and actually, children's basic rights to grow up is being I, denied them because the parents decide that they're going to push this on their own children. Yeah. It's, it's almost it's, like an agent that is in the spirit of... Bilam has said, "This is the way you destroy America." Right. It is. It is like it is like a catastrophe of biblical proportions. And when you actually read the midrashim and the de- terrible descriptions that Chazal, our sages, have of the generation of the flood and the generation of the wicked cities, this is some of it is actually described as, as these were the reasons that God brought upon the world the flood, and these were the reasons that God brought destruction upon Sodom. And some of what's going on now is worse than what's described even. It's, it is, and you know, I mean, like you, you often say, you know, I mean, this is a, a family show. We can't even describe. I mean, it's it's in our faces all day long in the news, and I, I think that you know, this is the epitome, the apex of uh, what Chazal and even other religious uh, uh, people of other religions even described as a sign of. Of uh, you know of the end, so to speak, and that right. is is that is when right is called wrong and wrong is right. called right. I have this conversation lately, often it seems with with many people, and uh, and uh, I always uh, you know have said you know I, I never really was the type of person to talk about you know like the end of the world <laughs> and that yeah. kind of thing. So it's not really my speed, my style, you know, like to talk about how like. It's just it doesn't appeal to me. It's not. It's not where my focus is because my focus, mm-hmm. as, as you know, as our understanding of Torah is this moment and this life and and. Um, well, Hashem Rabbi, has I think plan. I think it's the end uh, of. I don't think it's the end of the world. I think it's an end of a nation. 
if we continue to go down this path because it would it so, was going to end our our template is right there in front of us this was the plan of Balak and Bilam was to put an end to Eretz, to to Am Israel and it's a mess it's a message that is blaring at us from this parsha that this I, I see a mirror is that we have so that's exactly the thing that I'm, that I'm saying to you I, n- yeah. I never normally used to talk this way but now I find myself often sharing this idea with friends and people that actually I think this is pretty much really going to the end. Mm-hmm. So bring it on, you know, Jim, that's my thing. Bring it on. Let's go. Let's let's just do it already. Let's just do it. Let's see what we're made of because it's never it's never been like this and and everything that's going on in the world today, this is I think we're really seeing something uh really in motion that Hashem is setting in motion, and 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 as as always, it's all about people having to make a choice, yeah. people having to really grapple with who they are, who they want to be. What what are, are do we recognize the godly soul within ourselves, or or do we not? Mm-hmm. Because if we recognize the fact that we are a, a piece of Hashem, that that's what our human existence is all about, then we have a responsibility, we have an obligation towards ourselves and towards the whole world. Yeah, and, and Rabbi, and we have we have the Zimri's of in this drama, this real real drama that's playing out. We have the Zimri's that are that are uh, uh, boastfully asking you why, what's wrong with this? You know, we have the, and then we have we have sadly we have we have leadership which is which has been caught uh, in the same paradigm as Moshe Rabbeinu in that. They're so they're speechless. We 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 don't know how to address this, and the the same. And it's interesting to me that the sages recall this conversation when Zimri runs up with this Midianite woman Cosby in hand and says, "Can I can I take this woman?" And and uh, Moses says, "Well, no." And he says, "Well, why not?" He says, "She's a Midianite woman. You married a Midianite woman." And of course, he's 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 ignoring. A whole raft of, of things that, that uh, first of all, it happened before Sinai. Secondly, uh, his his wife uh, Zephorah converted. She became she became a. I mean, she's was as righteous as any any Jewish born woman. And the sages do suggest that Moshe was allowed to for be speechless so that Pinchas could come forward. Yes, that, that I was going to mention that there is there is an idea that emerges that this whole thing was again we've used, mentioned this concept before kind of a setup it was kind it was kind of orchestrated to facilitate the emergence of Pinchas you know you know this whole idea about the the uh, eternal covenant of peace that Pinchas was given by Hashem for his action it's like this is this was the his anointment this is when he became a Kohen now he's Aaron's grandson. Right. So why wasn't he a Kohen before this? So the idea is that when Aaron, when Aaron and his and his uh, children were anointed, Pinchas was not included. He was not included. He was like on hold. He was not. He did not, literally did not become a priest, a Kohen until this moment. And it was all uh, just kind of like uh, waiting for him to be able to make this move and and right this wrong and. Steer the children of Israel back to their the path that they need to be on. Mm-hmm. Wasn't he also uh, his lineage? Uh, on one side, he was he was related to Yosef, 
even though he's a Levi, but but in his in his DNA, mother side, right? And the other side was he was related to uh, Yitro. So you have these, you have this amazing, uh, you know, uh, array of of personalities and lineages, and that goes all that in a way. It's a and it's it, it it sort of plays into this drama, but yet the factor that shoots through all of this is the fact that all that goes out the window when it comes to what how you act. All of that, all of that, and and the fact is that you have a prince of Israel who blatantly uh, confronts Moshe and embarrasses him and all the elders, and then the ultimate act of I, I can't even imagine this scene. Of what they were watching, and and you have Pinchas who comes up, and you know, and they say, they they talk about the idea that that the purity of of his motives is one of the reasons that Hashem says I'm going to give him a covenant of peace, and I exactly. think I think one of the one of the hallmarks of this rabbi is the fact that that we know that that it was completely selfless, is because he was running in. And he was defending the nation of Israel, and they all thought he was murdering this couple. The entire nation could have descended on him and torn him to pieces. I mean, not that they would do that, but I mean, which is really what he expected and what he was prepared for. This he is, this is to what I'll speak about that he, and that's that's the whole idea that people you know make the mistake of thinking that this was some sort of a hot-headed kind of like you know overzealous reactionary kind of thing, and that he was. And he was like a thug, or like, or or like he he was like a like you said a vigilante, but this was an act of love. Yeah, this was an act of deep love for for the spiritual welfare of his people, and that's what Hashem recognized it in. And he was literally, basically, w- ready to die, ready mm-hmm. to die for his people. That's what he expected. So it's a it's a powerful way of understanding this this topic. That's. Everything is dependent upon it. It's the foundation of everything, and that's that's why Bilam gave that advice because this is really what destroys the world. Mm-hmm. Exactly, and and this is you know we the saying that we all are familiar with, and it's so true, is that uh, one uh, the loss of one life is the loss of worlds, and and this is this is an act whereby if. <laughs> It, you, it's almost reversed if he had not uh, stepped in and and done what was right to do, especially in Hashem confirms it. The, the whole nation would have, you know, they tried it with. It, it, it almost happened with Korach, and the 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 reprisal was immediate, and and, and Moses knew that that because Korach wanted to maybe unknowingly was about to destroy the nation if they'd all gone over to his side uh, and, and he was led by a, 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 a idolatrous mindset. He set up his own thinking above Hashem's and we have the same thing here again. And to this very day, the Parsha is kind of like a, um, a stumbling stone for a lot of people. A lot yeah. of people every year when we come to this, they feel very, very awkward and very apologetic and how could this be in the Torah, and he, what he did was wrong, and is it, you know that, that you know it's like giving a license to someone to take the law in their own hands, and all this kind of idea. But it's it's very very specific situation, and it's a very very um, calculated um, 
crime that was being committed, and it wasn't just a crime on a personal level, it was literally an attempt to destroy the, the nation completely. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think that, don't you, don't you see in, in every week in the Parsha that we, uh, uh, not every week, but often we, we come upon a Parsha that has something that makes people uncomfortable. And yet those are, when, when we openly discuss them, those are the ones that are the greatest opportunity to learn really the complexities. Uh, and in one respect, it really isn't that complex because really you talk about someone who, who cut through it all. I mean, Pincus saw with such clarity that, that decisive action had to be taken. I, I wonder if this is not what we get the saying in, 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 uh, in Judaism, that when there is no man, be the man. Right. And sexuality can always make people uncomfortable if it's misunderstood. But the, but the, the bottom line of all of this here is that this whole Parsha rings so true today because the, what the world is facing today is literally the weaponization of sexuality being used, and, and, and the byproduct is that it's desecrating God, but it's being used to destroy that's really what it's all about. Yeah, and for, so for a, Noahides, a, this movement is especially distasteful, especially distasteful, distasteful because what is the sign of the pride movement? Is the, the rainbow. rainbow. The rainbow. And, and it's such a stark, stark message to all of us that you know, we need to take that symbol back. Yes, it's basically that the, the, the pride movement stole the rainbow from the Noahides. Yeah. Because on a deep Kabbalistic level, the colors of the rainbow represent Hashem's attributes and the Sheva Mitzvot and the, the whole thing. And of course, Hashem set the rainbow in the, in the sky mm-hmm. as a reminder that he would not destroy the world again. So maybe they're thinking, you know, the movement's thinking is, oh, you know, like, like kind of like <laughs> saying yeah. to God, like, well, you promise you're not going to destroy us again. And we're doing the same thing that they did then. Right. You know, but the fact the fact is, you know, there is also an idea that when you see the rainbow in the sky, if God has to take it out already, mm-hmm. things must be pretty bad if he has to remember yeah. that promise. And, and this was, and and the 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 parallel is the fact that that uh, you know it says the world was filled with violence, and the thing is, much of it was sexual violence, and it was it was men taking wives from other men and uh, you know, heinous acts being committed. And it's all connected to idolatry, exactly yeah. as it was in, in Numbers 25. And the reason for that is because in order to justify one's implosion to, to utter depravity and to, and to the giving into one's most base uh, instincts, one has to, the next step is one has to be able to be denied that there is a creator and that, and that there's purpose, because if there's purpose and there's a creator, then that has a reflection on me. But if idolatry is the way to go, so then... Everything is basically a fragmented view of the world. And because these people have fragmented views of themselves, they must, in turn, reflect that view on their view of everything yeah. in order to justify their, their, their conduct. That aspect, that aspect the, the, the sexual component, uh, when we look prior to the flood, that is what introduced, uh, there's a connection between sexuality and idolatry, and we see that connection before the flood with the character of, of Enosh, because Enosh uh, was a powerful teacher of, of ethics and law 
and, and what God wanted from people. But he was such a charismatic figure that, that the opposite sex was very, very attracted to him. And so he basically is the one that introduced the idea of, you know, we can, we can, uh, we can pray to these other creations of Hashem. And his fans took hold of that. But there was, there was also there was this idea that they began to, in, in a way, his followers began to worship Enosh as a teacher. So that opened up a whole Pandora's box of, of you know, and anytime you see a society that um, they begin with idolatry, I, I, I think it's always interesting, even for the Shevimus vote, that people often say, well, you can say them in any order. I, I, when, the one thing that happens when, you, when someone is asked to speak to, you know, list the seven laws, no one ever ignores the fact that they always start with against idolatry. Mm-hmm. Because once a culture or a people or a family, uh, you know, falls prey to idolatry, all six others will fall. It's a domino effect. Absolutely. To bring all this home, Jim, in a, in a very powerful way, you know, this week we will be observing the fast of the 17th of Tammuz. Amen. Actually, on Thursday this week, July 6th, that, of course, begins the whole annual period of mourning and um, somber reflection on the destruction of the temple, which crescendos on the 9th of Av, the day of the spies' return and their evil report, the, the day upon which both temples were destroyed and so many other tragedies. That's going to be on this 27th of July this year. And this year, and this this whole concept of this this cycle, you know, of the three weeks, they're called the the three weeks between the straits, is a, a paraphrase of the expression from the beginning of the book of Lamentations, the scroll of Lamentations, between the narrow places. This is a time when we begin to reflect on what it means for the temple to be missing in our lives, you know, and we have this progression of increasing level uh, increasing level of um, intensity of mourning practices you know from from the fast day of the the 17th of Tammuz and the apex the, the 9th of Av when we all become like mourners for a close relative because because of the, the loss of the temple I've been thinking about this for about uh, three and a half decades you know <laughs> very deeply um, specifically more than a lot of people I'll, I'll say because it's I spent a, a lot of my life trying to actualize the whole concept of the importance of the temple and bring it closer to reality and I, I still you know I still work in that in that um, in that field as well and and the, the question is you know, I've always asked myself, how can how can we make it more? Um, how can we how can we make people identify with this more? How can we make people? How can we make it resonate with people more? You know, so I've always emphasized. You know, we're, we're not just talking about a building. We're not talking about. You know that we're not talking about mourning for the structure of the temple. We're talking about mourning for what it brings to the world. The, the loss of the divine presence, the, the the concealment of the divine presence as being the the source of of our universal. Angst, you know, our separation anxiety from Hashem and, and what it means that 
that we don't have the temple in the, in the world, but uh, uh, everything that we're discussing really plugs into this so much because when we're talking about what we're up against in the world today in terms of the unraveling of the human uh, of the human you know potential for greatness and the and the and the um, unraveling of the divine image in which we were created by giving in to all of the, the things that are going on, what it's really all about it's it's about concealing the Hashem that's within all of us, you know? Yeah. What makes a person special is the fact that we have a godly soul. And and so this, the whole campaign, just like the campaign in the, in the time that we're reading about with Balak and Bilam, that campaign was basically, it was against the godly soul, and it was the beginning of the end. It would have been the beginning of the end. And that's what we're facing today as well. And the whole, the whole, the concept of what the temple brings to the world is... A reconnection with who we really are, with who our souls really are, with each other, with with reflecting Hashem's presence in the world. It's not at all about a building. Like we live in a world today where where our our whole, you know, um, level of satisfaction and, and everything it's all it's all fabricated. It's all it's all material. All of our goals, everything has become completely diluted. You know, and and what the temple really represents is this return to who to what we really are in potential you know i'm saying that the whole process is misunderstood the process that we are beginning now by most people in the world the process of people think okay that it's the three weeks again we're going to be mourning for the temple and yada 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 and and get it over with and that and 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 we're going to suffer and that's what they think a fast is all about and it's not even about then it's about now the 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 loss that we're really focusing on is this, the state of the world now with the concealment of the divine presence and our state of affairs that we are so, again, to use that we're fragmented and so separated and so, uh, and so um, not in touch with our divine essence. And that's really what we're mourning. We're mourning our inability to connect with, our, with ourselves and with each other on the level and, that we were created for. And that's really what, what what we what we need the temple for. That's my emphasis. You know, that's I'm trying to that people should understand. This isn't about ancient history. It's not. It's not about a, a you know a, a way of life that's unknown to us and 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 um, and redoing something that is so completely misunderstood. It's about really understanding what the whole, the temple is all about and our focus on the presence of Hashem in our lives. And that's precisely what's wrong with the world today. Well, you know, the, the Torah Parsha also talks about the, uh, the Timid offering, the, the daily offering. And the, the commentaries talk about the fact that the, uh, I think people forget this, that the, the temple is a, when, when uh, someone of Am Israel goes to the temple, may it speedily come in our day, they're actually experiencing Sinai all over again. It's just like being at Sinai. And here's what's wonderful about that is that uh, it's called a house of prayer for all nations. So if, if that's true, and I believe it's true, then that means that the nations will be able, those who, who accept that the God of Israel is, is the God and that Israel is his priesthood, then that means when we go up to Jerusalem as as a as a uh, one one from the nations, we can also partake in the Sinai experience. We can we can we can 
we can understand what that means and the importance of it. Because it was like the great reset of the world. It was that the Sinai, the giving of Torah at Sinai was this interface between the supernal and the physical realm. And it was, it was, that's when the, that was the mid, the mid course correction of, of the planet was at Sinai. It wasn't just for Israel. Israel was, was there to implement it on the earth, but it, 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 I don't think people realize it changed the course of history. And that's why there's a struggle because there are forces that don't want that, you know, and we see that embodied even in this Parsha this week. Uh, and, and really one of the most beautiful aspects of the Sinai Revelation was the whole concept of Hashem wanting to be in the world, Amen. wanting to be to, to have a rendezvous with, with humanity and and uh, loving the world so much that he gave his only Torah to the world and wanting humanity to be uplifted. That's that's really what it's all about. And like you say, the whole concept of everything going on in the temple is a continuation of that whole experience forever. And that's exactly what's What's missing from the world today? Yeah, and 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 the the huge concept of that is is that the the ultimate offering. I mean, the temple is all about offering, about returning things to Hashem, and recognizing what even keeps the world going. In in, in when you look at it from a an aspect of physics, is that we wouldn't even be here today if Hashem hadn't given uh, of Himself to create everything that we are experiencing right now, to create the physical realm. That was his offering. I just find this whole thing very, very ironic and, and, and a little bit frustrating also, you know, uh, when I think about how important these concepts are and what they mean for the world and, how, and what they mean for Israel, first of all, and how Israel is, is really out of touch with what it means to want to see the rebuilding of the temple, what it means to the world, and why we should be feeling this way and why we should be focusing on this uh, it's an elusive concept because it's something that is just so far from us now, you know. So I, like I say, I, I, I've been involved in this for so many years, and I, and I, and I don't know that people are really there. There is definitely a, a groundswell in Israel of people who are beginning to understand this more and more every year. But you know, my goal is to really bring this idea to the whole world of what it really means to be living for Hashem and to recognize the Hashem within us, and to understand that that the the human experience was meant to be something on a completely different level. This is like the, the, these opposing forces that we're seeing right now. They come to they come to a, a crescendo in this whole process of our desire to see the rebuilding of the temple. Yeah, you know the thing that that I think has long escaped my understanding for so many years was why why would the temple be so important? I understand why it's important for the people of Israel. But the reason I think that it's important for the world is that when that temple is is built, the the people of Israel will will be in such a state, they will be so in line with Hashem's desires, they will be so in line with Torah life that that they will build the temple without question. That that Israel's um, daily lives will be such a witness and will be such a, a, a miracle for the rest of the world. The, the rest of the world, which is descending into chaos, will turn around and look and go, look how those people are living. Look how, to, to, in you know, American slang, look how squared away they are. 
Look, look their advances in not only in medicine and science, but look at, the, it's going to be like Balaam looking into the tents of Israel. Look at the lives, they, their lives are witness. I want to live like that, the nations are going to say. And, and the, the nations are going to say, and look what these people that live these lives did. They built, they built a temple that we all thought was this folly. We thought it was Israel's folly to build this. And I think when, when the nation gets in line like that, builds that temple, aligns heaven and earth, the rest of the world is going to go, you know, we're going to be, we're going to be those people that says, let's send armies and protect the nation. Like Bamid Baraba says, says that exactly was what the nations will say when they understand how important the temple is to them. But again, all the prophets of Israel emphasize regarding the future temple, that the, the third temple, is that it has a very unique relationship with all the nations of the world. Right. And Isaiah talks about all the nations coming up to the temple, and that's, that's the new era of harmony for all of humanity reflected in the time of the third temple. And again, you, you know, you talk about aligning. When you talk about a, a realigning, it's, it's really, it goes beyond Israel because, again, Everything, we, you and I keep talking about how everything gets back to the Garden of Eden, everything gets back to the Tree of Knowledge. That's what the temple is really a tikkun for. And that's the significance of the idea that Chazal tell us that the, the Holy of Holies is the place of, of the Tree of Life, you know, and the, and the place of the altar is the place of the Tree of Knowledge. And everything that goes on in the Holy Temple is a rectification for Gan Eden. It's, and that's the whole concept of the Kohen wearing those colors of those garments you know, like in the garments that Hashem made for Adam. Mm -hmm. It's all about Adam welcoming Hashem into the world and starting all over again. Yeah, yeah. And, and and that, I think, I think the, a universal the, the, idea. Yeah, the chaos that, that is descending on, on the world is the multitudes out there, the nations out there, they, they don't really realize that they, they, they don't know what, what they want and what's deeply embedded in their souls, because we all have that spark of Hashem in us, is that is that they are they're smothering that spark and they don't realize it. And they, I think, when the temple is built and when Israel uh, is living the lives, these Torah lives daily, that's when they're going to say, "Oh, well, that's the way we're supposed to live. We're supposed to," live. and we didn't even realize it. We were chasing all these other things. And yet, this is this is the light. This is peace, because because the the, the Israel in its best uh, aspect is all about order, is about getting your getting your life in order. And what is the other what is the other outcome of of, of everything being in order? Is peace. So I I think that's what I think they they don't know what, they want something and they don't know what it is. And that's what all this running amok is all about, is, is trying to find. But what it really is is Hashem. That's what everybody yeah, wants. Of course. It's just yeah, that we they, don't understand that that's what's yeah. pushing us. That's, that's the, that, you know, we feel something's missing and the, the, we crave more and more. But it, it can't be satisfied with anything material. Mm -hmm. It's only the connection to Hashem. Amen. So, Jim, I, I want to encourage also our Noahide listeners to participate in the, in the fast of the 17th of Tammuz, to think about the temple, to put some, some time aside, and to think about how important it is for Hashem's honor to be restored. That's also a, a, a major factor in the whole concept of the rebuilding of the temple, and all the prophets talk about the, the world recognizing that there's only one God. 
and the world uniting in the in the in the recognition uh, of that truth, and that changes the world. Mm-hmm. And and isn't the other isn't the other the sort of the 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 piece of the resistance, the, the the really crowning achievement of all this is when the temple is built according to plan and everything is done properly uh, and, and it's built the way that, that Hashem gave us in the original design, the Shekinah will descend and hover over it. That's going to be the showstopper. That's I think, is when that last holdout out there in the world says, I can't deny what's hovering over that building. So it's not just the building, it's the fact that, again, the building, the, the blueprint for... It's the for change the, that it brings to every single person, yeah. the, the Shekhinah. Yeah, exactly. It's a witness. It's really the idea. So, so you know, this again, this Thursday, the 17th of Tammuz, you know about the things that happened on that day. Right. It's the day that Moshe came down from Mount Sinai and saw the golden calf and broke the tablets uh, it was the day of the, of the uh, beginning of the siege against Jerusalem, the, 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 the breach in the wall mm-hmm. in the final battle for Jerusalem and several other World events War, that happened World throughout War history. World War I started. And there you World go as well. War I was thinking about the things that I mentioned in the, in the Mishnah. Yeah. World War I eventually led to the Holocaust. It was I, think, s- I think actually World War I began on Tisha B'Av. Oh, I thought. I'm sorry. Like the, the, I'm, I'm yeah. sorry. I Mishnah, apologize. The Mishnah I thought, lists some things that yeah. happen on the on the 17th of Thomas, which is the beginning of this whole this yeah. whole period. If of, I can um, apologize, my head my headphones <laughs> cut out, and I thought I thought you were talking about Tishbab. I'm sorry. Uh, yeah. No, it, it did. That's why I, I brought it up. So a little little technical snafu there, friends. But it's, I think it's something that really unites all of us, the, our focus on the temple and our understanding in this particular period of time that it's given to us also to work towards rectifying it, first of all, in our own consciousness and for us to realize what, what we have lost and what we could regain if we were to be living on that plane of existence that Hashem intended us for, connected to Him like through the motherboard of the temple and everyone really being filled with that light of that divine consciousness, that's really what, what it's all about. Amen. So it really is all connected. So may we merit to see and to participate in the rebuilding of the temple in our time. Amen.